So we're in the series called Good News Now. We're thinking about Mark's gospel. And in Mark's gospel, we saw last week, this word immediately just keeps coming. This sense of it's now, it's happening, and suddenly it's kind of action. And, and so that's why we've got the series title in terms of Mark. And for us, really, it's, it's kind of where we're at, isn't it? We're a church that hopefully is gripped and increasingly gripped with the good news, recognizing that the good news is not something from years ago, it's something for now, for 2014, for our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, our family, and we want them to know it. And so that's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about walking with this group of men that were invited by Jesus to follow him, to, to leave the kingdom of self, where everything was about their own priorities and their own business and their own profits and their own kind of ambitions and instead to become part of the kingdom of God. And the thing about the kingdom of God, as we discover reading through the Gospels, is that God isn't all self-absorbed. He's not at all self-absorbed. He's not grabbing and and seeking everything for himself. Instead, he's a self-giving God. And that's what the disciples got to recognize. As they spent time with Jesus, the, the first four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're spending time with Jesus. They're watching Jesus in action. And they must have been absolutely stunned by the selflessness and by the continual loving care that Jesus showed to others. And so we're coming to the end of chapter one. We've had uh, this kind of launch that Mark gives us, this high octane, big clarity kind of launch where he says, here's the thing. Jesus is God stepping in to this world to rescue us from our sin. And then you get Jesus preaching and calling these disciples. And for the rest of the chapter, from verse 21 to the end of Mark 1, it's all about a day in the life of Jesus. It's as if we're, we're putting on our sandals and we're walking with Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and we're watching Jesus in action. They don't do anything. They're not uh, called the 12 disciples. They're not sent to preach. There's no kind of action in terms of them for a little while yet, but they're there and they're watching and they're observing and they're learning. They're learning what it is to be part of the ministry of Jesus the Messiah. And I I hope for us, as we spend these weeks in Mark 1, 2, 3, which is what we're going to do in this initial batch through uh, to the end of July, I hope that we can get our sandals on too, whether willing. Uh, Hopefully we'll be wearing sandals, but hopefully we'll be able to watch Jesus and see him in action. And, And I find every time you really zero in and focus on Jesus, it's challenging. It's stirring. He's never, he's never predictable. He's never kind of, oh yeah, yeah, I've got Jesus figured out. We never do, do we? There's something about him that's so captivating and so powerful. So last week, uh, because really today's message is the second half of last week. So let's review last week a little bit, just for the Korean and Scottish travelers. Um, we, we had this uh, day in the life of Jesus. It was a Sabbath. And Jesus was in the synagogue at Capernaum and he preached And his teaching in that synagogue was so powerful that the people there were just amazed. They said, wow, we've never heard teaching with this kind of authority. And then just to add to the mix, this guy comes in who's got this demonic oppression issue going on. And he creates a scene and Jesus deals with the demon and sorts that thing out. So it's big and it's public and it's impressive. There's there's teaching, there's deliverance. And then they head back from the synagogue to the house where they're staying. 
It's just literally about 50 yards away from the synagogue. We know the, the locations. And, and they come into this house, and Peter, uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. She's in bed. And so no ceremony, no fanfare, no audience. Jesus just goes and heals her and raises her up, and, and she comes and, and takes care of them. And, and so right there, in, in the space of just a few hours, the disciples have had a, a just a perfect portrait of the ministry of Jesus. There's teaching, there's uh, deliverance, encountering the enemy and dealing with him, and there's also healing, caring, compassionate love for people who are hurting. And that's really the big picture, isn't it? That's really what Jesus continues to do. And you can imagine those disciples, we thought about them sitting there at the end of the afternoon as the sun was starting to go down, uh, maybe turn the television on for some tennis highlights, you know, and, and they're just sort of unwinding and reflecting on the day when there's a knock at the door. And as the sun has gone down and the synagogue doors have shut and religion is finished for the week, everybody says, right, now we can go and get our relative, we can go and get our friend, and we can carry them because the Sabbath's over. And they brought them to Jesus, and there's this knock on the door, and Jesus steps outside, and the whole city was there. They're just massive amount of people. And just at the point where you'd expect the disciples probably to be like us saying, oh, come on, how much can we do? This is ridiculous. I mean, they've not done a thing, but actually, you know how it is. They've been there, and they're tired now, and and Jesus leads the way, and he goes, and he cares, one after the other, one by one, late into the evening, maybe late into the night, and he cares for everybody. And the disciples would have gone to bed and mat on the floor, whatever the arrangements were, and I'm sure that as they headed to bed that night, their minds were spinning. After years of being fishermen, now they were faced with something they'd never seen before, somebody who was completely selfless. Somebody who was reflecting God's character to them in a way that, that just seems so right and yet so radically different. I wonder what they thought. I wonder if amongst the four there were some who were just bone weary. You know how it is. You go, maybe you don't, but some of you do. You go from working a hard, proper physical job and then you sit in front of a computer and you get tired. And you go, how does that possible? You know, maybe some of them were just weary. They've gone from fishing, which is hard physical labor, to just kind of standing and watching. And yet what they'd seen had overwhelmed them. Maybe some were just out like a light. That probably would have been me. Just ask my wife. Then maybe there was one or two of them that were lying there just, just thinking and pondering. Okay, so if this is what it means to be fishers of men, cool. Now, Jesus gets the men bit. We get the fishing bit. This is what he achieved in one day. Imagine what he's going to do tomorrow when we step up to the plate, when we get engaged. Because if there's anything we know about, it's business and it's fishing. And I'm not a fisherman, so please correct me later if I'm wrong. But my guess is that with fishing, when you find a place where there's lots of fish, you do two things. One, you return to the same place. And two, you get more rods or you get a bigger net, right? There's fish there, I'm going to get them. And so I imagine that maybe one or two of them lying on their beds were thinking, right, we've got this whole, we've got this whole thing sewed up. Let's call it Operation Capernaum. 
And tomorrow morning, we're going to get Jesus, we're going to sit him down, and we're going to tell him, right, we figured this out. We know why you've got us on your team. Here's the plan, Operation Capernaum. Are you ready? Andrew, bring the flip chart. And then, you know, they could have presented their whole plan to him. Jesus, this is what you achieved yesterday. Now imagine how much more you need to think bigger. Imagine how much more we can do if we keep fishing right here in Capernaum. The word can spread, people can come, this can go large, let's go large in Capernaum. And they had it all ready and all planned out. And in human thinking, it made total sense. And eventually, all four of them were snoring. And then we come to verse 35, the next morning. As they woke up, maybe they heard the voices in the streets. Maybe they opened the shutters and leaned out and and the, the streets were already buzzing. Did you see what I saw? Yeah, I saw him do this. Well, I saw this happen. Where is he? We want more. The streets are buzzing, the disciples are ready, and so they go looking for Jesus. Turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. If you have the same version as me, it's on page 714. And I believe we're going to end up with Bibles that all have the same page numbers, which is exciting. So page 714. Mark 1, 35. It says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark... Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Let's pause there. I know it's not a long enough reading, and some people get twitchy, but we've got to pause because the tension's huge here. Okay, because Jesus has got up first thing and headed out, which is interesting in itself. There's three times, uh, three times in Mark's gospel where Jesus does that, where he's spending kind of extra long hours in prayer. Every time, it's a key moment in his ministry. It's facing a big decision or a a big event. And so we see Jesus heading out. And I love the fact that, you know, he's he's just had the launch day of his ministry, according to Mark. He's, He's gone huge already. Everyone's excited. The social media networks are really buzzing. And his first priority is not a lie-in. It's not a check me out. I can be famous now. It's a straight out to be with his father. Isn't that beautiful thought? That his communion with his father was so precious and so important that he wanted that as his top priority. I suppose the, the, the thing I should say as a preacher is look at Jesus as our example, Right? That we need to get up early and have our quiet times and, you know, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And you've probably heard those applications. And in a sense, that's completely true. And I affirm it and I encourage it. I love early mornings, especially Sunday mornings. Because uh, Sunday, I don't know if your house is like ours. Sunday morning, there's just a risk of a little bit of noise. Especially if I'm preaching. It's, I think it's a spiritual warfare thing because normally our children are completely happy with each other and there's never any tension. But Sunday morning, sometimes, you know, there's just a little bit. So, so I, I always head out Sunday morning. I always go out and, and go, so I won't tell you where because I don't really want visitors. I go somewhere and I sit. I've got a special parking place in my car. I just sit there and I pray and I run through my message and it's just quiet. And I love it. And I would encourage you, make sure you prioritize, just like you would in a healthy marriage, prioritize quality time together. Do the same thing with Jesus. Just get together and pour your heart out to him. And that's a good application, but that's not really what this passage is saying. It's not saying, look at Jesus, he's our example, we need to do the same thing. There's that old hymn. 
I don't know the words, so this could go slightly wrong, but uh, I came to the garden alone while the dew was still on the roses and the joy we shared as we tarried there, something that rhymes with roses, right? So there's that kind of beautiful image. It's probably not noses, but anyway, uh, there's that beautiful image of, you know, kind of quiet, serene time with Jesus. That's not what Jesus is doing here with his father. He's gone out into the wilderness. The wilderness is a place of, of conflict. It's a place of tension. Every time there's been wilderness already, and there's been a few references in Mark 1, it's been a place of real angst, a place of temptation. Jesus was there, and, and the devil was tempting him. And I think Jesus is going to face a temptation again this time. There's a battle going on. And sometimes, actually, prayer is like that. Sometimes our prayer isn't serene and happy and, and glorious. Sometimes times of prayer can be real times of wrestling and times of personal struggle. And, and whatever is going on for Jesus here, there seems to be an anticipation of a temptation. And then the temptation comes, and it comes not from the devil, but it comes from the disciples. The word that's used for them searching is that they hunted they hunted him down. There's, a, there's an intensity here. And they, they finally find him and they get to him. And when they arrive, essentially what they do is they rebuke him. They say, everyone's looking for you. What are you doing out here? There's, there's work to be done. We've got Operation Capernaum. Come on, Jesus. Let's get back and get on with it. And I think that's the temptation. It's the temptation for Jesus to get distracted from his priority. It's a temptation to go after fame instead of the mission. To go after a, a temporary moment of kind of glory instead of self-giving, which is really where the glory of God is to be found. And so Jesus' response must have absolutely perplexed them. They find him. They've got their uh, flip chart on their back. They're ready to present the plan, right? And they say, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, that would have made no sense to the disciples. Are you serious? Hey, we're fishermen. We know there's fish. You go back to the same place. Why go somewhere else? There may not be any fish there. Why do you want to move on, Jesus? Jesus says, no, no, no. You're the guys, you're the ones that don't see the big picture here. You're getting caught up with something that's successful, but you're missing the priority. The priority in my life and in my mission is the priority to proclaim the gospel. And so for that, I'm going to keep moving. And they thought they had it figured out. They thought they knew what it was all about. But even within a day, they'd already got sidetracked. They'd already missed what was really driving him. Jesus had essentially said to them, here's the ministry mix. It's preaching, it's uh, uh, deliverance ministry, it's healing, care, compassion. And they took that mix and they said, great, now there's a, there's a clamoring after the care and compassion. Let's go there. And Jesus said, no, no, there's a priority here. The priority is the proclamation. And we're going to move on. And so they headed on. They moved on out. Now let's think about us for a minute. Is it possible that we could face that same tension? Is it possible that we could go from being kind of a new church start 
to being a, a slightly established church where we're not looking at how do we get this started or how do we get that or who's on set up today or, or whatever. But instead we think about um, now how can we most effectively reach out? Let's say, I don't know, a few months from now, let's say that we, we take a, a, a sort of a survey of who we are as Trinity Chippenham. Okay, we haven't done this yet, but just thinking out loud. So we, we kind of draw a circle and say, okay, this is Trinity Chippenham. This is who we are. These are our gifts. These are our resources. This is what we're good at. This is what God's kind of shaped us to be and wired us for. Cool, there's Trinity Chippenham. Now, let's draw another circle. And let's evaluate what is Chippenham, like Chippenham, Chippenham, right? There's Trinity Chippenham and there's Chippenham, Chippenham. And so let's look at Chippenham, Chippenham. Who's there? What are the needs? What are the, the struggles? What are the, what are the difficulties? What, what's, what's required here? What, what could we do that could connect with this community? And where those two circles interface, that's the place where we could do some very exciting ministry. Now, we haven't done that yet, so this is all hypothetical, but uh, we have, for example, we have people within Trinity Chippenham who have experience at working with students. Quite a few, actually, who've done ministry with students. Great. What about the University of Chippenham student? Ah, there isn't one. You see, there's maybe not so much of an interface there as we would have if we were in Bristol or Bath. Okay, what else do we have? Well kind of the obvious one, we're rich in under fives, aren't we? (laughs) There's almost more people in that room than there are in this one. Maybe that's God's design. Maybe something about the fact that there's so many of us who are, you know, raising little ones, and are there families with little ones in Chippenham? Yeah, maybe that's a point of intersection. Maybe single-parent families, maybe, uh, maybe families that just don't have any support at all. Maybe we can provide support and encouragement. Maybe that's a place. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. But imagine that that becomes a point of interface and we say, you know what? There's a place we can do ministry. Great. Let's do it. In fact, to be honest, that's part of our thinking, why we're doing the parenting thing this summer, because let's just try to strengthen what we've got in case that becomes a ministry for us in the future. Now... What could happen? What could happen is we start something and it's, it's organic and it's dynamic and it's exciting and you know, people get saved and we reach families and, and, and it's awesome. And then after a while, we're going to face the Jesus temptation right here. There's going to come a, a point where even voices that we wouldn't expect it to come from within this community start saying to us, we've got to make that bigger. We've got to make that the main thing. That's who God's made us to be. Come on, look at this opportunity. And we could end up running this kind of parenting little ones ministry program for Chippenham. And it could become like the, the trophy that the, you know, the whole country is looking to us at how we do this ministry with parents of little ones. And if we lose sight of the gospel, it's all for nothing. It's all wasted. And there's going to be that temptation. It may not be in that area. It may be something else. But along the road, we're going to face situations where we're going to be tempted to say, this is what we can do. This is what we're good at. Let's pour everything into this. And then maybe there'll be one or two lone voices. And it could be any of us saying, what about the gospel? What about reaching out? to others? What about people who don't fit into that category? What about people outside of Chippenham? What about, what about, what about? And the temptation will be for us to say, no, this is who we are, and to zero in on something and lose the bigger picture. Let's pray that that never happens. 
in a sense, I kind of want to pray that it becomes a temptation because it'd be great to have some ministries that are so thriving and so powerful and so exciting that it's a temptation. But let's pray that we never give in to the temptation to lose track of the priority of proclaiming the gospel. And so Jesus, we're given this glimpse. He, he shows his disciples, you've got it backwards. You're thinking glory. You're thinking fame. You're thinking, how can we do a big splash in little Capernaum? And Jesus says, I'm not worried about the splash, but I'm thinking bigger. I'm thinking wider than Capernaum. Let's go. And they move out and they go from town to town, from synagogue to synagogue. And the priority is proclamation of the gospel. And as the gospel is proclaimed, it's like turning over rocks and all these kind of wood lice come out and all the kind of demonic uh, negative counterattack comes. And Jesus deals with that. But it's the gospel that's doing that. And so I imagine the disciples may be grasp that. I maybe am giving them too much credit uh, because it does take them a while, just like us. But, but imagine that they grasp that. Right. The priority is proclamation. Got it. Andrew, put the, put the flip chart down. We don't need that. We've got a new operation. It's operation proclamation. Let's go. And then we get another story straight away. Look at the next one. Mark 1 verse 40. And a leper came to him imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest And offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But was in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. What goes through the minds of Peter, Andrew, James and John. As this leper approaches. What would go through your mind in that culture if you faced a leper? Remember, leprosy is this horrible skin disease. It's probably a set of diseases, but they would have treated them all the same. If you get leprosy, you're an outcast. Right? You've got to be away from the community, away from people. Get out of our face. Don't get anywhere near us. We don't want to catch what you've got. And you've got to hide. And I remember reading an account of, of maybe this, I think it was this story. And somebody had written it up. It was, could have been Max Lucado or Philip Yancey, one of those kind of writer types, good writers. And he described this, this leper's experience. That the first day that he felt nothing in his fingertips. And just kind of suppressing the fear and saying, no, it can't be. And then, and then something starts to form on the skin and, and he realizes what it is and he faces it and embraces his family carefully for the last time and walks away to the priest and the priest says, unclean and And he's cast out of the community. And he described what it might have been like for the leper. Hiding behind bushes so that he can spot his children playing in the streets. And with all of his being longing to go and wrap them up in his arms. But never daring to do it because of what it would mean to them. And for them. And so hiding and watching and and just yearning for just just a touch. Just a, a moment of compassion from someone. Then he hears about Jesus. And he he finds Jesus and comes to him and begs him and says, look, you can make me clean if you want to. And then Jesus does the most bizarre thing. He reaches out and touches him. Didn't need to do that. 
He could have just said, be clean. And he creates the world with a word. He could, have, he could have healed leprosy with a word. But instead, he enters in and grabs hold of the guy and touches him. How much that must have meant. I remember reading an article about people in this country who get their hair cut every single week because it's the only time they ever get touched by another human. Isn't that sad? Just the, the longing for a hug or a hearty handshake and, and all they can get is a haircut. And this man hadn't had anything for months. Everyone had scattered every time he came near and Jesus stepped into his world. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel? Isn't that a beautiful picture of the incarnation? How God doesn't try to fix us from a distance, but he steps right in and takes on our uncleanness, if you like. He enters into the mess of who we are in order to rescue us. And it's not that Jesus gets polluted. It's that we get cleaned. He steps into our mess and he puts our lives right side up. Well, the disciples are watching all that. Uh, maybe initially when the leper came, maybe one of them or two of them were saying, excuse me, oi, move it. Jesus is on a mission. It's Operation Proclamation and you're in the way. If you wouldn't mind stepping aside right now because we've got it. Right, Jesus? Yeah. And Jesus, no, 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 no. Let him come to me. And maybe then they dispatch one of them around the back to, you know, as Jesus approaches the guy and comes closer, you know, warn him. Obviously, Jesus doesn't know what's going on. And maybe one of them's around the back kind of, you know, getting his attention and, and just don't touch him. Don't touch him. And with the eyes of the disciples on him, Jesus says, I will be clean. And he, he grabs the guy lovingly, compassionately. And yet there's a tension in this encounter. There, there's almost a, a tension within Jesus. It's a love for the man, but it's an anger at the sin that's caused this fallenness. Not necessarily his sin, just the sin of the world that leads to disease and brokenness and things that are wrong. And gradually the disciples get that. Over the course of three years or whatever it was, as they spent time with Jesus, walking with him, watching him, sharing in his ministry, gradually his values became their values. What moved him moved them. May that be our experience. Because I, I, I know for myself, I'm sure it's the same for you, living in a broken world with all the sin and all the mess and all the bad news and all the kind of the nastiness of everything... It's easy just to become hard, isn't it? Just to kind of let the heart crust over and become calcified and calloused. Just a coping mechanism. And yet as we spend time with Jesus, hopefully our, our prayer is that our hearts will beat more and more with his. That we'll feel compassion for those he, he feels compassion for. That we would feel righteously stirred to anger by the mess that sin has created in people's lives. And that even with the priority of proclamation driving us forward, whether we're evangelists or not, just giving all of our energy to move forward with Jesus as the body of Christ, reaching the world with the gospel, making that what drives us, what stirs us, what motivates us in terms of our resources, in terms of our prayer, in terms of our priorities. Driven forward with Jesus and yet in the midst of that, having the compassion and the tenderness and the sensitivity that Jesus had. So that with this great mission to reach the world with the gospel, we never miss the person stood right in front of us. We never fail to care for the person whose need is staring us in the face. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus, isn't it? 
He has a a mission and a plan that's so much bigger than any of us can even begin to dream of. And yet he cares compassionately, tenderly, with heartfelt empathy and, uh, and concern for the tiniest little person, for the smallest person in the crash, for the weakest person amongst us, for the one who's struggling the most or doubting the most or having the biggest uh, challenges internally that are never revealed externally. He cares about the tiniest thing and the people out there, the people we walk straight past as if they're the untouchables. Jesus stops and touches. And as we walk with his disciples, with our eyes fixed on him, may his priorities become ours. The priority of proclamation that we never lose sight of the importance of the gospel, of lives being transformed. And yet at the same time, tender, compassionate care for the person stood right in front of us.